Now this morning I'll be sharing on the general theme of preparing for a revival, uh, but I really felt to just continue on the subject I, I mentioned when I spoke last time, I think it was about three weeks ago, on the subject of true repentance, true repentance. And repentance is not really a subject that people would choose to listen to or would enjoy or, or like, but I believe it's the foundation of, of everything. And uh, it was the message of John the Baptist. It was the message of Jesus. And it's going to, if, if we embrace it, if we embrace it, it's going to help us go through the difficulties and trials. And then also, if we have a vision of what is lying ahead and revival and the outpouring of the Spirit that lies ahead, we know that as we repent, God will change us. God will make us more like Christ. God's hand will come upon us. And, you know, we know that Jesus, he's coming for a bride. He's coming for a bride without spot and without wrinkle. And we're certainly not yet, not there yet. But as we embrace repentance, we will be changed and we'll become more like the Lord. And we'll be prepared, prepared for revival. Because in revival, you know, we're going to reproduce what we are. And, you know, we're living at a very critical time, very critical time in the nation of America today. And there's a tremendous battle in the heavenlies, the power of God, the power of Satan. And there's a battle in the heavenly realm for the soul of America. As a nation, we desperately need revival. Really, it's our only hope. Everywhere we look, you know, we see the news. And it's not good news. Growing violence, protests, corruption, darkness, evil, sin. And the answer to our many problems is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's not just some ideology. It's not politics, not protest, not education, not better economy. And even though revival is sovereign, and only God can give revival, yet if God's people become desperate for him, he promises to heal our land. And that scripture, which has been quoted so many times, but yet, is so vital, and it sums up so many things in one scripture, from 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. It was the occasion when Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, and the temple had been completed, and the glory of God came in the Holy of Holies. The glory of God descended, the presence of the living God. 120 priests, they could not stand to minister. They fell down on the floor. And then God spoke to Solomon. And he's saying, that, you know, even in the years to come, if God's people, if they turn away from God, if they go into sin, if they go into idolatry, if they turn away from the real God, he says, if they will humble themselves 
and if they will pray, and if they will seek the face of God, and if they will turn from their wicked ways, that repentance, if they will do that, if they will do that, on the condition that they do that, on the condition that there's true repentance, plus those other things, then God says, I will hear, I will forgive, and I will heal your land. I will heal your land. And, you know, God will come. He came when Solomon David. He, he came when Solomon de dedicated the temple. The glory of God came down. And he's coming soon. The glory of God will descend. The glory of God, the presence of God, will greatly increase in revival times. And God will come. And God is preparing his church for revival and to move by his spirit. And the great revivalist Charles Finney of the 1800s, he, I, I like his definition of revival. And he says, revival is renewed conviction of sin and repentance. Repentance was at the heart of his message. And then followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. And when we have a vision, we have a vision of revival, we have a vision of something's ahead, it's going to help us pass through the times which are difficult and the trials we are maybe going through now. And so I just want to repeat again just a couple of visions, one of David Wilkinson and others of Pastor, Pastor Bailey. David Wilkinson had this vision 34 years ago. And this is basically what it was. He said, I see a plague coming on the world. And the bars, the churches, the government will shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it. And he was, he was the pastor in New York City in Times Square. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But he said, the plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken before. The plague is going to force pray prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles. Repentance will be the cry of the man of God in the pulpit, and out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. There was a great awakening in the 700s, 1700s. God moved mightily. That was followed by the American Revolution, time of great harshness and judgment on the country. And then there was a second great awakening in the 1800s. Charles Finney and others, thousands turned to the Lord. But that was followed by, by, by the Civil War and much devastation in the country. And in this prophetic word, he said there'll be a third out of this out of this. You know, plague will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. And back in 1955, again many years ago, before Pastor Bailey came to America, he was in Switzerland, and God gave him a series of visions for six days of awesome revival. And he said, revival will be beyond our fondest dreams a revival of such power and glory. And he saw outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
And what he saw has not yet happened, has not yet come to, come to pass. Speaking of revival in the last days. Not only did he see visions of revival, he also saw visions of God's judgment. And he shared this at an Elam camp meeting in 1967. And he saw natural disasters, you know, coming upon USA and other nations. Isaiah 60, 26 and verse 9. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the earth will learn righteousness. And so one of the ways, there's several ways we can prepare for revival. But one of those ways is that when we cry out to God, that God will draw us afresh to himself and bring a deeper repentance in our lives. So this morning I want to look and I want to compare Saul and David. Saul, his sins to us seemed smaller than David's sins. But there was no repentance. And it seems he ended in hell. David's sins to us seem much greater than Saul's. But David repented. And there was true repentance in his heart. David will end up in heaven. Saul had difficulty in repenting. He began his ministry. He began being king with a powerful anointing. But instead of that anointing increasing that anointing diminished until he no longer heard from God. And at the end of his life, we see Saul going to a witch. He had a tragic death, and he led many Israelite soldiers to their death also. And they were defeated by the enemy, the Philistines. Now, leading up to that, in 1 Samuel 13, and this was the occasion when Samuel the prophet had told Saul, go to Gilgal, wait for me in Gilgal. And he said, I will come after seven days. I will come and I will offer the sacrifice. Now, Samuel was delayed in coming to Gilgal. Either that or he was purposely not going, just to test Saul. But Saul disobeyed the word of God. And because Samuel the prophet and the priest, because he did not arrive at the appointed time, then Saul, who was the king, he did what only the people from the tribe of Levite, Levi, the priest, should do. He offered the sacrifice. And so he disobeyed the word of God. He offered up sacrifices, which only the priests were allowed to do. He tried to take an office that had not been given to him. 
and he did not admit he had done wrong. He tried to make excuses. He did not repent. He just made excuses for his actions. He tried to excuse his sin. He tried to blame others. You know, so many. I mean, with Adam and Eve in the beginning. You know, Adam. You know, Adam. The woman. He blames the woman. Who you gave me. He doesn't take responsibility. He blames his wife. He blames God. And he has all. He just blames others. He tried to excuse his sin. We see this in 1 Samuel 13, verses 11 and 12. Now, moving on to 1 Samuel 14. In this chapter, Saul does a foolish thing. He orders the, the, the Philistines are approaching, a battle is approaching. And Saul foolishly orders his soldiers to fast and not to eat till he'd taken vengeance on his enemies. Now, I believe in fasting. Fasting is very important. But there's a time to fast, there's a time not to fast. And when you're going into battle, when soldiers are going into battle and need all their strength and everything else, that is certainly not a time to fast. But Saul foolishly ordered his soldiers and to fast, not to eat, till the end of that day, until he'd taken vengeance on his enemies. Now, Jonathan, Saul's son, he was not present when Saul gave that word not to eat. And so when they were going to battle, the honeycomb had fallen, was in the trees, had fallen down onto the ground, and so David, uh, Saul, he got of the honeycomb and he picked it up and he ate it and it was so good and so refreshing and his eyes were enlightened. And Jonathan was wonderfully used of God to help win that victory over the Philistines. But then Saul, after realizing David had not obeyed that command to fast, then he, does, he makes another foolish statement, and, and he said, a, 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 and a, a foolish oath, and he says his own son. He said, David will die because of that. And it was the people, the, the, the soldiers, who had to rescue Jonathan from his own father, Saul. But again was Saul. You know, there was no humbling of himself. There was no acknowledging of his sin. There was no, no sign of repentance there. And then in the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 15, and in this chapter, God had instructed Saul to kill all the, all the Amalekites, all the Amalekites and all their cattle. They were perpetual enemies of the Lord. And through Samuel, God told King Saul, to, to kill all the Amalekites, to kill the king, to kill the soldiers, to kill everyone that breathes, to kill even the babies, and even to kill the cattle. But Saul, you know, often his sins, we could, we could call them religious sins. You know, he thought, well, maybe he's got a better idea. He had a better idea than God had. And so he partly obeyed, but he partly disobeyed. He partly obeyed, but he partly rebelled. 
and he speared the king, the, the, the king of Amalek. His name was Agag, King Agag. He speared him. He did not kill him. And he speared the best of the cattle. And then to make it sound spiritual, he said, well, I'm going to offer these good cattle. I'm going to offer them, these sheep. I'm going to offer them to the Lord. And we see this in the first nine verses of 1 Samuel 15. Now, when Samuel, Samuel the prophet challenges him, in verse 30, Saul says, he says, I have sinned. He says, I have sinned. I have sinned. Yet honor me now. I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I might worship the Lord thy God. So when Samuel rebuked Saul for not killing Ahab, Saul's reaction was to ask Samuel to honor him before the people. And Saul desired the honor. See, Saul desired. He desired the honor of man before the honor of God. He desired the honor of man more than the will of God. He he would not repent. He did not repent. He wanted to continue to look good in front of the people. And they were more important to him in doing that which was right. There was, there was no true repentance, even though he said, I have sinned. And sometimes people can say that I have sinned. Sometimes people can even cry and weep and acknowledge their sin. But they don't repent if they do not forsake that sin and turn from it completely by the grace of God. And those familiar verses in that chapter, 1 Samuel 15, 22 and verse 23, if we can have them up on the screen. And it says there, be, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? For behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. The fat of rams offered as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And then verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. When we rebel, we open up to spirits of witchcraft in our life. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's a terrible thing. And stubbornness, the Bible says, is as iniquity and idolatry. When we're stubborn, God compares it to idolatry. We're worshipping other gods. So Saul, there was a, a false repentance. There was not a true repentance. They were mainly religious sins. But David, what a, what a man David was. Called, I mean, called a man after the heart of God, who knew God's own heart. And when we think of his sin, I mean, I mean it was a terrible sin. I mean, not, not, only, not only did he commit adultery, but then he was instrumental in murder. And in the murder of Uriah, who was the husband of Bathsheba. And, but, but there was such a contrast. There was such a difference between David and Saul. You know, as I mentioned, David's sins of adultery and murder in our eyes were greater than Saul's sins of disobedience and religion, 
and rebellion and religious sins. Saul did not repent. He ended his life in a battle and after death would have gone down into hell. I mean, how tragic from one who was king, the first king of Israel. But David, a man after God's own heart, he received the gift of repentance and was wonderfully restored. And David will be one of the great heroes of faith in heaven and throughout all eternity. In fact, in the millennium, he'll be prince. He'll be a prince. He'll be, he'll be a king. Of course, Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But David will be very great in the millennium and then in heaven throughout all eternity, forever and ever and ever. In Psalm 51, we see there, and this is a, one, of the, the, one of the psalms of David's repentance after his sin. And he cries out in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out, blot out my transgressions. David there, he, he appealed to God's mercy to blot out, to remove his sins. And then in verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He desires to be thoroughly washed from his iniquity. And then in verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David clearly acknowledged, he clearly acknowledged his sin. And then in verse 4, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. David acknowledged that sin is primarily an act against God, more so than, than another person. But isn't it a wonderful prayer which he prays in verse 10? Create in me a clean heart, O God. You know, he's wanting to be different. He's wanting to be changed. He's wanting to be, that, to, to be completely free from that sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit or a constant spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. It's a pity he didn't pray that, you know, before his sin. But it's a good prayer for all of us to pray. And I pray it often. You know, create in me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. There's many temptations today. In fact, I heard some statistic recently, and it was that, was, that in American churches, it was about 20% of the men in American churches that are, that are hooked or addicted even to pornography and such you know, there's such uncleanness everywhere, everywhere, everywhere we go. And David's prayer, create in me a clean heart, true repentance, true repentance of a forsaking, a going on in God. Renew a right spirit, constant spirit within me. Our natural heart is very wicked. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, 
says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. So we need to pray that God would give us an, a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says there, a new heart will I give you and a new spirit, a new spirit will I put, you, put within you. Instead of a heart of stone, God will give us a heart of flesh. In the revival in the Congo, in a part of the Congo in Africa in the mid-1950s, there was a New Zealand missionary. His name is Ivor Davies. And there was a group of other missionaries and national workers working together. And this New Zealand missionary, Ivor Davies, had a vision of a stone. And God, he went to God for the interpretation. And God said, this stone, this is your heart. It is hard, critical, jealous of others. And then the vision continued. And a stream of blood came and touched the stone. And that stone, it split in two. And, God and then God showed him. That was speaking. God was showing him. God could touch his hard heart. And he went to his African brethren and put things right and confessed his pride and his rebellion and his envy and jealousy and so many things. And he did that. And as he began to repent and put things right, you know, then they began to repent one another and put things right one another between pastor and pastor. And, and, and there was a move of repentance. And many repented of their hardness of heart and various other sins. And, you know, out of it, out of it, you know, many came to the Lord. Out of it, revival came. And, and shortly afterwards, revival broke out. And many repented and came to the Lord. And last night, I was looking, I was just looking at a, at a book I had about the Welsh revival. And the Welsh revival was in 1904 and 1905. And last night I just wrote down some, some things from this book about the Welsh revival. And it was, it was led by a young man, Evan Roberts. He was only 26 years of age. And he led this amazing revival in Wales, which transformed the nation. His foundational message, his main message was repentance. And he said this, all sin must be confessed to God and repented of. The church has to be cleansed. The Lord's bride should be without spot so that there would be no room for compromise with sin. And at a town called Loghera, after a meeting that had gone on till about three in the morning, Evan Roberts and his brother, they were exhausted, trying to get fall asleep, but then at 6 o'clock in the morning, outside, the streets were noisy with crowds on their way to the early morning prayer services. The night meeting got on till 3 a.m., and the morning prayer service, was people were gathering at 6 o'clock in the morning. The entire population of the town had responded in repentance and were being transformed into a praying multitude. God's presence was so intense and one outstanding characteristic of the revival 
was the confession of sin, which started with the unsaved and even spread to, the, to those who were, who were saved, who were broken and humbled by the revelation of the cross of Christ. Bitterness and resentment seemed unthinkable as all were compelled to gaze upon the Lord's great mercy and love. Thousands turned to Christ, forsaking their sins, making restitution, which is a part of repentance, and showing the fruits of repentance, which is also a sign of repentance. Debts were paid, stolen goods returned, the taverns or the drinking places were forsaken and closed. A serious problem developed at the mines because the horses pulling the carts of coal had been trained to respond to the curses of the drivers. Now, now that the drivers did not curse anymore, the, hearse, the horses could not understand their commands. Theatrical companies quit going to Wales because no one would attend their shows. Magistrates were presented with white gloves in many towns to signify there were no arrests. No people were getting, getting, getting arrested. There, there wasn't too much for the, the, the police to do. And sometimes the police had to guide the crowds who were going to the revival meetings. The prisons were, were emptied. And, you know, revival scenes swept the universities day after day for months. And the impact of the entire country of Wales was amazing as over one-third of the entire population turned to the Lord. Maybe some, as we've been talking, there's a particular sin, a particular problem, a particular bondage that there may be in your life. And you know exactly what it is. And the Lord is saying for you to repent. And if your heart is sincere, he will help you. But there's others. Maybe you're not aware of anything. But a good prayer to pray is Psalm 139 and verse 23 and verse 24. And that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And that verse, that verse, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, I shared that verse with you three weeks ago. And I, I shared that verse for, for you to pray. You know, often when a speaker is speaking, sometimes he's speaking more to himself than the people. But I also prayed that prayer. I also prayed that prayer three weeks ago. And I prayed, search me, O God. Look at my heart, other things in my life that I need to repent of that are, that are not pleasing in your sight. And then about four or five days after, after that time I preached last time, four or five days last, uh, after, the Lord brought something 
to my attention, to my mind, that it happened about three years ago. Something that I'd done three years, about three years, and what I'd done was wrong. And the Lord spoke to my heart. There's two people you need to contact and acknowledge that you were wrong in what you did and to apologize and to ask for forgiveness. And, you know, I found it a bit difficult, but by the grace of God, I did obey and I did it. And I really felt, you know, release at that time. And so this morning, I want to, I want to believe God that there's going to be some here this morning who will find true repentance. And, of course, there's going to be the outworking of that with the fruits of repentance. And then, again, I say, if we can pray that prayer, search me, O God, know my heart, know my heart, and that God would show us things because we want to be changed more and more into his likeness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your present precious word. Lord, even as we've said from 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, Lord, you've promised that if we turn from our wicked ways, Lord, if we turn from every sin and everything that's displeasing in your sight, Lord, you've promised that you will not only forgive us, but, Lord, you've said it is an important key for healing of our land and revival coming to our land. And so, Lord, this morning, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be those with a soft heart, a tender heart, wanting to change, wanting to be molded into your image, wanting to be transformed and to be like you, more like you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray. Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And just while our eyes are closed, if there's anything that's in your heart, in your life, you know the sin, you know exactly what it is, and you want to truly repent, just while every eye is closed, just lift up your hand. God bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Put your hands down. And those here, who you're not aware of anything, but you want to pray that prayer and continue praying that prayer, that God would search your heart and bring to the surface things in your life that you need to repent of. Just lift your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
put those hands down. Father, Lord, you see each hand, you see each person. And oh God, Lord Jesus, Lord, we desperately want revival. We desperately want you to move. We desperately want your presence and your power and your glory to be manifest. Lord, help us to repent, to search our hearts, to have a soft heart, to walk with you. And Lord Jesus, we believe you. Lord, that as we do this, oh God, you will come and pour out your spirit even as never before. Lord, may your blessing and your favour be richly upon each one. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you as the musicians come.